I was the problem. And, and Taylor Swift wrote a song about it. I'm like, I love her. I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs> yeah, I'm the problem. I mean, I can sit in these huge meetings, like I'm going to uh, New York next week for a $19 billion tunnel project. And I'm sitting with these mega companies. I walk in the room and they're like, she knows what's going on. Yeah, I sure do. And you need to sit down because it's not your money that you're spending, it's the taxpayer's money. So this is what you're gonna do and this is how we're gonna do it. If you don't like it, go get another job. I'm Art Blanchford, and this is Life in Transition, a podcast about making the most of the changes we're given. As a married father of three teenagers, a longtime global business executive and adventurer, I've been through hundreds of transitions in my life. Many have been difficult, but all have led to a depth and richness I could never have imagined. You'll get to hear all about them on this podcast so that together, we can create more love and joy in our lives, no matter what transitions we are going through. Well, welcome back to another episode of Life in Transition. I'm super excited to have my new friend, Shelly Armato, with us today. Shelly is probably the most awarded businesswoman I've ever met. She is founder 18 years ago of My Smart Plans and CEO of that company today. And My Smart Plans is tech-enabled solution for construction industry that has now, check this out, $23 billion of contracts completed, 99.9% on time and on budget, which is amazing. And 2,600 projects total with zero litigation. So it's really amazing what you've done in that space. And Shelly, what I'm most excited about is not even that. It's like your heart for people, for your kids, for your grandkids, even the interactions that we've had, how you want to change the world and make everything better around you. And that's really amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Life in Transition today. And most welcome, Shelley. Thank you. My pleasure. I love it. Ah, thank you so much. So we're going to jump right in. What would you consider to be one of the most significant, meaningful transitions that you've made in your life, Shelley? So I love when we did our pre-interview, which is like kind of funny to me because I'm, I mean, people ask me to be on their podcast. I'm like, okay, no big deal. People are like, well, how many people are listening? I don't know. I don't care. I'm going to keep telling my story to whoever wants to hear it. So for me, life has been, like most people, an adventure. Some people call it struggle. I call it an adventure. Life is happening for me, not to me. Some of the things I've had to have a neutral understanding of because it doesn't make sense. But like when we did our pre-interview, I was 50 when I had been on this quest to find out what happened to me, like what happened. I started counseling at 19. I've done everything, alcoholism, sex addiction. I mean, I've tried everything to alleviate this thing that happened. I couldn't figure out what it was. So at 50, I had spent a year with Tony Robbins. I went to date with Destiny. I mean, like I have literally, if you tell me an event, I've probably been there, whether it's singing bowls, uh, sound baths, I've done it all. Because I couldn't figure out like what happened. Mm -hmm. So anyway, at 50, I did a what was called a earliest memory meditation. It seems so harmless. Like, okay, what's my earliest memory? I already knew it was going to be Mrs. Beasley. It was my Christmas. I opened up and I got my favorite doll. It was like, that was going to be my earliest memory. Oh, hail to the no, that was not my earliest memory. <laughs> anyway, so I'm in this thing and my earliest memory was my babysitter's husband. His name is Roger. And his game with me was to manipulate my clitoris. I call it clitoris manipulation. Because if someone says, well, as a child, I was raped, 
I said this one time to this one man. He's like, well, that's virtually impossible. And I'm like, you're an idiot. So I'm like, no, actually, this is what happened to me. It's not that I was raped. I was stimulated as a child as a game with a freaking psycho man. And the thing with the clitoris that actually it is connected to the pleasure principle of your brain. So seeking pleasure is like that happened at four. And I was like, how do I get this pleasure again? This was like, I guess I've never done the hard drugs, but I mean, some drugs, like it's a pleasure principle. And so like, I spent my life trying to find that thing. So it was alcohol and all those things. And at 50, I had the complete recall in the meditation. It was, I'm shaking, telling you, so sorry, this is, no, it's this okay. Is it's real. It's amazing that you're willing to share this. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Screw him. He is not going to take my power. This is on him, not me. But I didn't know that till I was 50. So wow. I carried the shame. I carried the responsibility. I carried the guilt. I carried all the shit like in this bag with me that, and when I would meet someone like, let me show you my bag before we, you know, have a relationship because Mm. everything about me is this. Anyway, so in that meditation, it was not only the name recall, it was his pox on his face, the kind of glasses is where I smelled him. I could smell like everything went boom in my face. And the first thing he did was take my breath away. And I was like, you know, and I mean, I don't recommend this. For people, this is not where I should have had this complete recall because I had no support. It was me in a group of how many ever thousand people going, <gasps> so I jumped up, I ran in the bathroom and I just was like, oh my God, what? I, I finally, I caught the, you know what? So anyway, this girl was in the bathroom with me and she's like, okay, let's just walk. I don't even know her name, but for some reason, God found it fit that I would find this person in the women's bathroom I cry too, still talking about this. I'm fine. You don't have to, it's fine. Anyway, and she like walked me through the process so that I could go back into the room. But now I'm 60, so I've spent 10 years. I still have tears about it. I'm still working through that, but I don't mind crying. I don't mind having this emotion that says, look, you've been through some pretty tough stuff. Then I went on and changed an industry. Then I went on and said, hey, to the world, hey, if this happened to you, and you don't know what happened to you, pretty good chance this is the result of that. And what your family does with those things is going to be the power of your life. My family chose to deny. My family chose to make me the villain because now she's a truth teller. <laughs> what are we going to do with her? You know, but you get me into a situation. I will always tell you the truth. Not everyone likes that idea, but fire me. I'm going to tell you what I see. And I'm going to move swiftly forward. So now I'm in this position, like transforming an industry. And I have a seventh sense about me that is from that event. I have this ability to see past mountains. I have this ability to like drill through and like, oh, hey, Shelly, you said a seventh sense. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, obviously, we all heard women all have the sixth sense, right? This intuition, right? So what is the seventh sense? Well, the seventh sense is I can see through mountains. Like building a business, I mean, we started our business in a garage with $15,000. We reinvented an industry. We had an event happen to us in my husband's business that took all of our wealth. And I went from being a Disneyland mom to being, I mean, lucky if I could go to World of Fun without a season pass. I mean, Mm. like, dude, you just lost it all. And in construction, that's pretty typical. The men that are in the business, the risk is so great, but they've become familiar with that. It's like the recluse spider. 
Okay. I'm familiar with this thing. So they I become told, desensitized to it and comfortable yes, and then it takes them yes, down at some point. Yes, yes, yes. Whether it takes them down emotionally, they lose their family, they lose their total sense of peace, they lose their wealth, they lose their identity, they don't know who their friends are. Drinking is the new game to figure out who's going to tell the truth and be the liar. The documents tell it all. You don't have to use those tools anymore. Mm. So I have seen so many amazing things. I hope one day that it'll be a Netflix series because it is so Netflix worthy. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Of this from a garage in 15,000 to, I mean, literally bootstrapping my company for almost 19 years. We had a call this morning and this company's like, look, we want to be a part of what you're doing. I mean, we're like, well, okay, listen, this is what we're doing. We just met with the Corps of Engineers. We just presented to LAX. It's a $30 billion project. We're against Oracle. And they're like, Oracle's terrible. How do we start with you? We're like, okay. I'm like, I had to turn off my camera. I'm like, can you hang on just a second? Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I'm in my Lululemon right now. You know, I mean, like everybody else is dressed up to be the part. And I'm like, no, I'm just an ordinary Barbie changing the world. So my seventh sense is being able to like drill through mountains, you know, in business, things are so close to you. You're like, I can't see past that. I have this ability to see past that mountain around it, drill through it, whatever. I call myself living in the valley. So I'm always in the valley of resources where a lot of people want to live on the mountaintop. That's where there's no oxygen. There's nothing. It's barren. In the valley is where all of the abundance is. Like that's where the fish go to spawn and that's where the deer go to drink water. It's in the valley. To live in the valley is so much fun. So that's my seventh sense. Okay. To have a sense of seeing the forest for the trees squared or something along that side. Cool. And I love seeing like what you're talking about your business and you're probably used to seeing it because it's behind you all the time. But I'm looking at the tiles on your wall behind you and seeing the things that you represent transformation, disruption, transparency, strength and kindness. Right. At the same time, defense, sustainability. I mean, it's it's really cool to see what you have created out of an expression of who you are meets the market need at the same time. Well, Um, and it intimidates people. I mean, in construction. The general contractor, he holds the medallion like the taxi cab drivers. And you get in and you're like, well, I need to go to 55th and 5th. And they're like, yeah, well, I'll take you where I'm going to take you and drop you off. And lucky if you get there. So we're like, no, this is what the contract says. This is how we're going to get there. And this is so it's like the complete opposite of what happens in the industry. But it's so much fun because I have this ability to walk into situations because of what happened when I was a little girl. I'm like, oh, you cannot hurt me any worse. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like, what are you going to do to me? You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I'm you're like, not worried about what people will think about you, whether you belong in the room, whether the no. project is too big or too scary. Like none of this stuff bothers you after you've had this transition when you were 50 to understand what happened to you and how you lived through that. Yeah. And now you have this incredible power and self-assuredness because of that. Yeah, well, just like my one of my things says she needed a hero, so she became one. I mean, it's like I needed a hero. I was a single mom. Of course, the men in my life, you know, before I realized what happened to me, saw me as a victim. Like they saw me as like, because I played that role. I had petrified. I lived my life petrified. Like, oh, my God, what if somebody finds out this terrible thing about me? And then I'm like, oh, actually, you know what? I'll just go tell you. What do you want to know? You know, I mean, blah, blah, blah. So and how it, did you did this? So you weren't even aware of this event until you were 50. And it informed 
a lot of how you behaved. And you mentioned yeah. some of those things that you're constantly looking for that dopamine hit, you know, whether it was yeah. the feeling from drinking alcohol or having sexual yeah. relations or whatever yeah. it was. And then it sounds like you've been through a couple of 12 step programs or at least one. No, I have not been through any 12 steps. Oh, okay. No, I have been through every step. I mean, okay. I actually went to a 12 step program. I took my son cause I caught him drinking and I'm like, that's it. You're going to AA. I am taking you. I don't know anything about AA, but I mean, this is something about me. I'm totally bold. I don't mind walking in on whatever. I mean, I email the president every day. I'm like, dear Mr. Biden, I've accepted the position of construction czar. Please have a rose garden ceremony because I need the world to know that I'm the only person in the world that's done this. And anyway, so I'm like, and P.S. Shelly, you know, and you can use my name whenever you talk to the Corps of Engineers. Here's the guy's phone number. Tell him you talk to Shelly because he was the gatekeeper to the devastation that the Corps of Engineers does on these construction projects. It is brutal to our country. Mm. But with us, everybody has a seat at the table. So I forgot what your question was, but it took me down. I was just trying to think about like, so when you were 50 is when you had this recall of this really traumatic event from your child and you never even knew it was there, but it had informed a lot of your life experience, a lot of your searching up until you were 50 without you being consciously aware of it. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I think it was so deep in my subconscious. I just didn't have language around it. Right. It was just like this thing. I had these memories, but there was no language that could describe it. It was because of the brutal way that my family managed it. I was the one that got beat. I mean, I was the one because I obviously had done something to let him think that he could do that to me. Wow. It's a problem. It's a problem. (laughs) So like turning that around, I mean, most families would be like, I'm going to kill somebody. Just to make sure I understand. So you didn't know you had this memory until you were 50. 50. Mm -hmm. So your family, that was their response when you were 50? No, no, no. When I was a little girl. Okay. So you didn't know what it was, but you were acting out as a little girl somehow. Then people said, well, it must be your fault that you're acting. Exactly. Exactly. I was the problem. And Taylor Swift wrote a song about it. I'm like, I love her. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the problem. I mean, I can sit in these meetings, these huge meetings, like I'm going to New York next week for a $19 billion tunnel project. And I'm sitting with these mega companies. I walk in the room and they're like, she knows. She knows what's going on. Yeah, I sure do. And you need to sit down because it's not your money that you're spending. It's the taxpayer's money. So this is what you're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. If you don't like it, go get another job. I mean. These are our taxpayers' money that these federal projects are just burning through. And it's like, Uh, well, our taxes are going up because we have to fund when we build a new bridge or when we build a dam or whatever. Yeah, we fund it two or three times what it needs to be because of the mistakes and the problems and the delays. Well, no, yeah, it's because nothing is organized. There's no custodian. There's no fiduciary to the documentation. It's just like this kind of free-for-all. Well, uh, you know, we don't know what happened or we're going to make up a story about what happened. Our technology says this is what happened at this time, at this day. This is who's responsible for it. And here's what they did. No, that's Maybe awesome. That makes, that's makes awesome. And it obviously sense. is something that's so desperately needed in this space. And I feel yeah. like for your business, I mean, literally, it feels like the sky's the limit. I mean, because every project needs that information to do well, whether I might get it just for building a house, you know? Uh, exactly. Well, and what's so funny, some of the people like our San Antonio International Airport's building a new terminal. And so anyway, the owner said, hey, you need to interview Shelly. You need her to come down. So I fly down to San Antonio. There's an owner's rep. That's the gig now. We'll have an owner's rep. The owner's rep's in the same bag of tricks as everyone else. His 
final payment is based on your final budget. So anyway, so the owners are in the room with this. So he's making a percentage. So he wants the price to be high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I walk in the room and they're like, you know, she must be, you know, well, anyway, so I'm in the room and the owner's there and they're like, okay, we have to excuse ourselves because, you know, blah, blah, they'll handle it. And I'm like, okay, this guy had the audacity to think I was not going to go tell the world. He looked at me, he goes, listen, honey, this is- And this guy's probably 30 years old. No, 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 no. He's an old white man. Oh, is he? He's like, oh, it's listen, even worse. honey, this is not good for me. And I go, you know what? You look like Pinocchio right now. Your nose is growing and you are arrogant. And you know what? This is not about you, sir. This is about the project. So you need to sit down because I'm going to go tell the world what you just said. And he was like, how about who are you going to tell? Any podcast I'm on? I'm going to tell the world. The owner's rep is not the gig. The owner's rep is in the same bag as everyone else. So we're like, no, when everything's organized, guess what? You can have an owner's rep, but the owner's going to know now. We just built a new KCI terminal. And the owner, Pat Klein's like, wow, I can make decisions because I had clean. I can see everything. It's transparent. And it's in a third party's hand. Nobody can manipulate the data. It's like right here. Click the button. The two-second rule applies. If you don't find the information in two seconds, you're not able to make a decision on it. So That's great. That's amazing. And I love how you, and you talked about this in our intro that, you know, changing the world through construction. Like there's so many ways you can do it, but you're showing up authentically as who you are and yeah. that's changing the world. I want to come back on this because I'm thinking about like, obviously it started this business before you were 50, you're 60 now, yeah. but you're 50, you had this total realization of what happened to you, this shock and awe yeah. of what happened to you. That gave you a lot of understanding. How did that inform, like, what did you change? What did that drive in your life at that point? What questions did it bring up? What reflections did you have? Like, because again, you, you talked about, you know, your goal, which I love for this podcast is if I can help one person, you know, to get emotional freedom, which I love that what you call it to get emotional freedom. Yeah. So you went through a process of becoming emotional freedom. What was that process like? There was a lot of things, obviously, in, in your life, like your business that were already running at 50. But this was a big transition. This is one you bring up as this is the biggest transition that I had. What happened there? What was different the next That's day, the so next week, the much, next year? So many things. Well, First of all, having great compassion for myself. I had self-loathing. I hated myself. I could not be pretty enough. I could not be Barbie enough. I could not be perfect enough. I was the villain of my family. So it was just safe to pick on me because, you know, it's Shelly. She'll show up anyway. She still will be kind. But I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, my first name was Just. And so I just changed the world. (laughs) I am just a powerful woman. I am just on a mission. But one of the things I did that was the most powerful thing was my father was a raging alcoholic and it was the way we managed our lives. Like my dad was just a drunk. So he would drink and then he would rage. And if you were at the end of his rage, it meant a belt. It meant, I mean, like he was this brutal man. He was so wounded. He had a traumatic childhood from hell. And the way he managed it was with alcohol. And so anyway, he wasn't in my life for 30 years. When I was 20, I don't know, like 22, I'm like, I will never speak to you again. I literally said the F word to him and I walked out of his life to not admit that I was done emotionally. It just meant I had to remove myself. Yeah, You were putting some healthy barriers, some healthy boundaries for you. They were not healthy. I had an emotional band around my neck that the further I got away from him, the more oxygen it took from me. So I moved to Florida. I'm like, I'm out of here. Black sheep is leaving not even understanding this thing, right? 
So anyway, my mom called me. I spent my life trying to be cool. Like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to mm-hmm. show all my ex-husbands. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I got a BMW. Guess what? I got a Mercedes. Guess what? I'm a millionaire. Guess what? I have a 22-carat diamond ring. Guess what? I have a new husband. Guess what? I have three amazing children. You don't think they're amazing, but I do. I mean, just I was this proof. I was going to prove, prove, mm-hmm. prove. Such a devastating way to live your life. There mm-hmm. is not a vehicle. The people that want destruction for you never will give you the ability to be anything other than that because you know their secrets. I mean, like, you know where you came from. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my dad got sick. I got a phone call. I'm sitting in Manhattan at this wine bar and I had quit drinking beer, but I still drank a little bit of wine and I'm sitting there being cool. My mom calls. She goes, and my parents had been separated for 15 years. And my mom said, your dad's dying. He has cancer. I'm like, why are you calling me? This is not my problem. You go handle it. He's your husband. And I hang up and my husband looks over me. He's like, that doesn't even sound like you. I'm like, who asked you? I'm hungry. I want another glass of wine. Do they have anything for me to eat? Not realizing that I had just triggered the deepest part of my soul. Right. So anyway, my husband goes, are you going to call your dad? I'm like, you're an idiot. Okay. I don't know if you know you're an idiot, but you are an idiot. Like, because I hadn't even really told my husband what everything, because I mean, it was just so raw. It was like, what do I, so anyway, long story short, I was watching Joel Osteen the next morning, which I'm on Joel Osteen's call and radio all the time. If you ever hear anybody from Kansas City, it's me. It's, <laughs> it's you. Right. And Joel's like, it's you, Shelly. I'm like, well, it's me again. Listen, I like to talk about this testimony and blah, blah, blah. Oh, anyway, so Joel was talking about being the peacekeeper and whatever. I'm like, oh my God, shut up. So at this time, I'm living in a condo. It's like three quarters of a million dollars. It overlooks the city. It's magnificent. I have all the cars. I have like my life to the outside world looks like she is something, right? Well, anyway, I called my dad. I said, where are you? Because he saw the same phone number. I'm like, where are you? He goes, well, I'm in room 522 at North Kansas City Hospital. I'm like, I will be right there. So I told my husband, I'm going to go punch him in the freaking mouth. I am not going to take his shit. So anyway, my husband was like, should I go with you? Look, you can ride with me, but I'm going down to go set him straight. And I walked in my dad's hospital room. This will make me cry again. And my dad was this shriveled old man. He was just so powerless. And I was just like, I go, what are you doing here? Well, I'm dying. I have cancer. And I'm really glad to see you, sis. He calls me sis, which is what he called me when I was a little girl. And he reached out his hand and he grabbed my hand like that stupid picture of, you know, whoever touched yeah, Michelangelo's God and Adam. Yeah. He touched my hand and the anger from my body just went poof, gone. And so I'm like, huh, that's interesting because I was going to come beat you up. Now I'm here to say, do you need another blanket? Are you thirsty, dad? What can I do for you? Do you need a place to stay? Well, anyway, I took 139 days of my life and I stopped. And I took care of my father as if he was the child of the most high. Mm. And I, I mean, he had, I don't even know what to say. I became the executor of his estate. I mean, he saw me for what he had missed. Mm. And I mean, he had warm blankets. He went into hospice. I mean, I had fudge bars. I took care of my father as if he had never been wounded. Mm. And as he died, I was at his like right at his head and he was dying and I just whispered in his ear I'm like daddy you're gonna be okay I mean he went 
to the extreme also. I mean, he sent me roses to say for all the times I never could say I love you. <laughs> mm. He sent me these things He's like, I'm sorry, you know, and I didn't say to him, what are you sorry for? Because. But he I got just, it though, but he had yeah, a change of yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did really have a change of yeah. heart. Anyway, so when he died, I said, dad, do you mind if I bury you in a superhero shirt? And he's like, why would you do that? I said, because you became a superhero in my life. You came back and showed me my worthiness. Mm. And so anyway, at his funeral, all these people that thought I was this challenged child and, oh, God, what is she now? Like, she owns a construction technology company. I mean, obviously, it's her husband doing all the work. You know, I mean, the family has to have a story. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm like, well, I'd like to speak at his funeral. My uncle is a funeral director. And he's like, you know, what is she going to say? I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're going to tell all the alcoholic stories or. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I'm like, I would like to have a wireless microphone. I would like to speak last. So, of course, he puts me on the thing to speak first. No microphone. Like, friend, I don't need a microphone. I did not have a speech written. I don't have to ever write my, I like, know it. So anyway, I stood up and I'm like, you might not know me, but I'm Larry's daughter. I'm the baby of the family. And let me tell you what forgiveness looks like. And I told the story of reconciliation and what it looks like to have a grudge and how forgiveness is the power of the living God. And anyway, I mean, the funeral went down. Like, I mean, people were weeping and crying and I didn't do it for that reason. I did it to say that there is power in forgiveness. There's power in the ability to be who you are, even though the wound occurred, there's power. And so anyway, how do you do that? How do you be who you are, mm -hmm. even when the wounds occurred? Yeah. yeah. How do you do that? You decide. First of all, you have to have great compassion for yourself and you mm -hmm. have to have the ability to say, you know what? I mean, I can't even tell you how many little children things I've done. And <laughs> if I wrote a book on just the healing modalities, it would be as big as the encyclopedia. I mean, it's like I've done so many things, including flower essence. I mean, if you look at my desk from my perspective, I have seven pairs of glasses, but I have my favorite pen. I have, you know, all my stuff here, but it's like the power to just understand when God made you, he didn't make a mistake. Mm. He didn't say, oh, there's a design flaw. Mm. No, he's like, you know what? I'm going to make her for a purpose mm. of this. And it's the power of finding what that purpose of this is. And, you know, people are like, well, you know, I want to go, you know, feed the homeless. Well, I feed the homeless, but it's not my job. My job right. is my job funds the feeding of the homeless. Like we fed 15,000 men. We go out on Saturday mornings with McDonald's dollar biscuits and we find people. And just if I can be a hope dealer, mm. if I can deal hope for mm. two minutes, because it's powerful, the power to be a hope dealer. So, mm. yeah. I was writing down the second point now. I forgot what it was. Oh, That's all okay. right. It'll come back to me. No, about what you had said, because you said clearly first is compassion for yourself. Yeah. Right? And that's the step. Oh, and then to find your purpose, to realize that you're made for a purpose and find that. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And I love that about being a hope dealer instead of being a drug dealer. I'd be a hope dealer. Right. Yeah, and yeah. quite frankly, it's sort of is a little bit one or the other in a sense in life. Right. We either, you know, I was doing this meditation camp a while back where they said you have two choices in life. You either meditate or you medicate. Yeah. Right. And yeah. there's so much. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit off the air, if you will, ahead of time, right? There's so much that is, I want a pill that's going to fix me, or I want an alcohol that's going to fix me, or, you know, in my case, I want to go eat something that's going to make me feel better, right? Yeah. Instead of doing the work, instead of realizing I'm made for a purpose and living into that purpose and becoming a hope yeah. dealer, instead of, and whether yeah. it's, you know, 
whether it's illicit drugs or over-the-counter ones or prescribed ones, right? Well, I think over-the-counter drugs are illicit. I mean, now the drug companies are ran for profit only. And if you read about all of the things that happen that are in those drugs, like I have a mother-in-law that's 90, she's from Sicily. And if the doctor doesn't give her something, she won't take it. So I'm like, no, Sarah, I brought you blah, blah, blah. And she's like, uh, so now I tell her, well, I actually have a friend that's a doctor. And, you know, because I have these, I'm, I have. <laughs> and she I said, this is what you need. And this is. Yeah, their yeah. Part. She's so like, oh, okay, Sholly. She calls me Sholly. She's like, okay, Sholly. And I'm like, this will help you. And I mean, she just lost three of her family members in the last year. I mean, her two of sons and her husband. Mm. And I moved her out of her old house into a new house. And I'm like, Sarah, this is freedom. I'm going to, I mean, I had to do some Starbucks refresher drinks. I'm like, here, drink this. She's like, how much is that a cost? It doesn't matter. You have all the money you're ever going to need. So here's what I'm going to do. And I mean, you know, I think all of us, our purpose is to be a hope dealer. Even Mm. the drug dealers, they're trying to sell hope. They are actually. And this is going to make you feel better. No, no, no. This is not going to make you feel better. This is a short term solution to a long-term problem. So like, feel it holy. Okay, go on, feel it holy. My husband and I, we drove to New York for a meeting because we couldn't get a flight. And I mean, we had so much fun driving to New York. How stupid is that? But we went to New York and Florida and Louisiana. I mean, it was just like, Dominic, I kind of did this thing. I make all, I set all the appointments. I do all the calling. I do all those things. And I'm like, "Uh, babe, we need to be wherever. And he's like, well, Shelly, And he's gotten past the whole needing the details. I'm like, look, I'm not giving you the details. Just shut up. Give me a ticket. I'm going there. And so anyway, I've done some really crazy things, but I don't care. I'm going to go and have fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I was listening to Anthony Malello yesterday, his book, Awareness. And he talked about three things. And it made me think of it because you just about named them right now when you were talking, right? So the first one is love those that hate you. Oh, yes. Right. Love those that hate you. Second one is befriend and make the outcast feel like they're not alone. Yes. Right. And then the third, which I'm going to miss right now, but it'll come to me in a minute. But I was thinking about that, you know, like you're talking about reconciling with your dad. Right. And you talked earlier about, you know, the people that you spent your earlier life before you had this transition to try to prove yourself to people that wanted your destruction at the time that were not loving you, that didn't see you. And yet you still like, for some reason, wanted to prove yourself to them instead of turning it into, you know, this loving someone that had hated you before. And I love the word you use. My father saw me in the ways he never did before. He saw my worthiness. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, So I I don't know. I I was just reflecting on that. And so those are a couple of things that came out of this transformation. So compassion for yourself first, and then realizing, you know, that love is finding your purpose. Realizing you're here for a purpose, sort of love for self, and then finding, you know, realizing God didn't make junk, he made you for a purpose, and then finding that purpose and then leaning into that. And if I summed it up right, then your purpose that you feel is to be a hope dealer. Yes. You know, whether it's in your construction business or in your family or whether it's dealing with the homeless people on the street, but to be a hope dealer. Yeah. And then to try to, so what, I mean, from what you have learned from this transition of understanding what happened to you when you were such a little girl, if you could give a tool to anybody, any of our listeners, maybe it's to me, maybe it's to some other listener, but if you could give one tool, you've said you've done so much and had so many experiences, but one tool, one practice, one realization that you've had after realizing this early memory and how it affected you and informed your whole life, what would that be? You know, what would be the thing that you would put on every billboard if you could do that? 
Well, I mean, we talked about Sarasat earlier, which totally rewires your brain and gets rid of the trauma. You know what I found recently that has been so life-giving? I have, I listen to sleep meditation Mm -hmm. and there's this guy named Jason Stevenson. And at night I go to sleep with attracting miracles. And anyway, so he takes me this little exercise and then I go to sleep and then all night long, he is reprogramming my subconscious experience. So I live with this. I mean, and it's so funny because my husband is anti-experiencing the things I do. Like he does not understand why I need to go to the chiropractor and go and have my energy level change. I mean, he's like, but go because I mean, obviously something you're doing is amazing, you know, but do I really need to go? I'm like, shut up, just shut up and go with me. You are going with me. But anyway, so now, unfortunately for him being married to me, his life is transformed, but he listens also at night because he doesn't have a choice. Because our room is radiated with nighttime meditation frequencies. I've done sound baths. I've done, Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I can tell you there's probably not something I don't know about. Right. Because I'm curious. My number one thing I would say is to become curious. Interesting. Is that on the wall behind you that I can't see? No, I think it needs to be, though. I'll have to add another. I love curiosity. I mean, curiosity is, and and you talked about, you know, you spent the first half of your life before this transition trying to prove yourself. Right. And I'm sure you're familiar with this open mindset versus the closed mindset. I can't remember the author, the lady that studied that and wrote that book right now. But, you know, she talks about the primarily like you can either prove yourself or improve yourself. Yeah. And improving yourself comes from curiosity. Right. I love that little speck of curiosity and like showing up as, you know, the way I think about it now is, you know, God, how can I be a tool for you in this room in this moment today? Instead of how do I prove myself, which I spent the first, you know, 49 years of my life trying to do, like, I have to take up space, I have to show that I'm smarter than everybody else, I have to be more successful, I have to be the one speaking, I have to, I have to, I have to, because I need to prove myself, instead of how do I improve myself? How do I improve the situation? You know? Yeah. Also, I think for me, it was not only proving myself, but allowing for someone else to decide my work. So tell me like, more about that. How do you distinguish well, what I mean, that is and how did you change it? Yeah. So the husbands in my life, both of them, of course, were alcoholics, like at a level 10. Mm. And they were always like, you know, you're just not good. You know, you're just not that smart. I mean, again, the just thing. The just Shelly. Yeah. But I brought that to them. Like, here, this is a tool you want to use around me because, you know, I would never accept the fact that I'm the smartest one in the room. I would never, I mean, I flunked out of four colleges because I went to college. I'm like, wait a minute, what kind of car are they driving? What are you going to teach me? No, 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 no. See, I don't work that way. So I always got a seat at the table. That was my goal. Like I started when I was in fourth grade, selling used cars and selling houses because I was the only one that answered the phone in my family. And so on Saturday, on Sundays and Saturday, I would have a notebook with the cars for sale and the open houses my mom was at. And I would answer the phone. How residents, this is Shelly, may I help you? And they would say, I'm calling about whatever. I'm like, oh, yes, I can help you. Well, is there an adult? Oh, they're already out showing the car. There's 23 of them in the driveway. But what would you like to know about? Well, is there any rust on it? I don't think so because I have no idea. Well, how do I get there? And every weekend, my dad would sell every one of his cars. But never did he come in and say, did you say that to those people? He would just be like, oh, well, she just like answered answer the phone. No, I was the only one in the family that would answer the phone. And so I'm professional. I can get through any gatekeeper. I mean, when I call the White House, they're like, oh, it's you again. I'm like, I know. How many operators do you guys have? Well, we talk about you, Shelly. I'm like, I'm sure you do because I'm calling you again. Like, hello, I need to meet the president. And I'm bold enough to believe I don't have to have some kind of lobbyist 
get me a meeting right, with him. I'm bold right. enough to believe that he would definitely want a meeting with me. I'm bold enough to believe that when I get there, you're going to give me a cup of coffee. That's what I'm bold enough to believe. So who in the organization is going to want to talk to me? I'm going to save our country trillions of dollars. Right. So who in the organization is that person? They're like, well, let me give you an address. I'm like, I did that last time. I sent mail. I emailed. So what is the next step? I need to know I'm going to be in, Jan- I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. January the 8th through the 13th. Who do I need to speak to in the White House? We went to this restaurant. This is hilarious. I got to tell this. I don't know how much time left, but it's so funny. So Dom, I have a thing. I want to meet Adam Schiff. I just love his presence. I love the way he can orate. I love Adam Schiff. So anyway, we go to this restaurant right by the Capitol. And we're like, you know what? If he's going to be at a restaurant, it would be here. So we go in. We're sitting there. My husband and I, and we're just laughing. We're like, what would we do if we saw him? We'd be like, hey, Adam, what's going on? We need to talk to you. Well, anyway, the server came and we said, we'd like to meet Adam Schiff. And the server said, oh, he's here. We're like, no kidding. Okay. So Dominic and I are like, what do we say? Oh, my God. So up shows the chef because the guy speaks Spanish and he heard we wanted to meet the chef. So the chef was there and he's like, I own like six restaurants. What can I do for you? And we were just like, we don't want to meet you. We wanted to meet. But anyway, we laughed so hard because we're like, ask anyway, ask anyway. So anyway, it's just so much fun to have that ability to laugh and experience life with joy and compassion and like, Oh my God, when someone serves, like whenever we eat at a restaurant, we clean off our own table. Whenever they come to bust our table, all of the glasses are stacked together. Nothing is like they can do one swoop. I mean, it's like, I'm going to be that girl. When I go in the bathroom, I'm going to clean the bathroom. Whenever I'm- Leave it a little bit better than you found it. Yes, yes. When I'm at the airport and someone, I see someone that's struggling, I'm going to stop and say, can I carry your suitcase? Or can I, pushing the wheelchair is really a bad idea because it's really hard. But I've done that. I'm like, I'm going to be that girl. No matter what, I'm going to be kind, no matter what I'm going through, because when I do that, it fills my well so full. Like, no, no. Whenever somebody says to me, well, you know, we're not going to use you because, you know, whatever. That no does not define me. Like, who are you talking to? Thank you. No, ask a different question. Right. And did that, being that girl, did you feel like that was something that also you were better is not the right word, but I don't come up with something else right now. Better at since you had this realization of what had been driving you, like since in the last 10 years, do you feel like you're easier? It's more flowly for you to be that girl, to be kind, to be serving, to be respectful in every situation. Yes. I mean, like at a 500 times level, I mean, Mm. yeah. Oh my God. It has been the most joyous thing in the whole entire world. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm a hope dealer. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be, I don't even know what, but like, don't get in my way. Cause I also have an opposite side. Like when someone tries to stand against me, I'm like, yeah, you probably be safe for you to sit down now because I'm probably going to walk around you and you're going to be humiliated because I'm going to tell the story of you being an idiot. Like one of the companies, Burns and McDonald, they had me come in. I built their world headquarters. They're like, oh my God, this is so awesome. They came in to the people that can make the decision. And the guy patted me on the shoulder and he said, honey, you couldn't handle all my business. And I said, remove your hand from my shoulder. First of all, step number one. And number two, I will tell the world how you just tried to humiliate me because it's about you. So go on with yourself, sir. Yeah. No, but I think- I was the only woman in the room. Yeah, but it's necessary to be able to also speak, you know, cliche, speak truth to power as well. Right. It's very necessary. You know, being the kind and loving person gives you the strength and gives you the foundation, gives you the centeredness. Yes. To be able to then also 
to speak with power and authority when you need to and strength. And again, because I love what you've said many times in our conversation, it's not about you to other people no. because you also know it's not about you, right? That you're a vessel, that you're a message, you're this hope dealer, you're yeah. living your purpose, but it's not your identity, right? No. They can't hurt you because there's nothing that you value that you put your well-being onto that they can damage. Yeah. My kids, my kids are my, well, if you hurt my kids, I won't. Yeah, you but that's not, you know, but I mean, other than that, that, like, you know, they have their own struggles, but let me tell you what, if they come to me and say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be like, that was a mistake. Right. Do not jack with my children. I mean, my husband, my second husband, I have had three, my third husband's been 22 years. So I do have a track record of, Hey, that's three him. times the average. So you're doing good he's, already. It's he's only something average else. And he's my years. business partner. I mean, like, hello, he's around the corner. He's like, Shelly, you haven't eaten today. So I made you an egg. I'm like, thank you. But, um, he's Italian. Anyway, my second husband left me with my three kids and he took all the furniture and he double dog dared me to succeed. And I'm like, it's probably going to look bad on you in the Netflix series, but okay. Cause I mean, I had no idea what I was going to do. This was before I had the realization. I still had the addictions and I got my real estate license and I sold 43 houses my first year, but I went out at night and rode my bike with my baby, one of my babies. And I became the expert in the neighborhood. And I'm like, well, I saw all the houses in here, even though I had never sold a house. And I was like, I'm the expert. I can figure this out. And of course, now he's sitting back sucking his thumb. I'm sure he hates me with a total vigor of 12. But I mean, like, you should not have done that. That was a mistake. But it's okay. He'll be fine. He just got a lesson to learn. And number one is don't jack with me. It's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah, Appreciate you, but you probably ought to get out of the way. Right. I don't know. Uh, is, a, that, it, is that a principle I should adhere to? I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think it makes sense. I'm thinking about like when I've sort through this and tried to, you know, boil this down. I feel like the first one that I actually used to have compassion for yourself. But even before that, I would say is this awareness. It seems like that so much in your life turned yeah. on self-awareness and really what's driving me, you know, like you said about letting the emotions pass through you seeing what happened. What was the childhood trauma that's really driving a lot of my unhealthy behavior? But until you yeah. find that, it seems like it's almost, from your experience, not quite possible to come to the compassion for yourself or to realize your deeper purpose or, you know, to move in these other ways to be that girl, the kind and loving, not the just Shelly, but that girl that's kind and loving and strong. If you you have those addictions, if you have those tendencies, something happened to you. Mm -hmm. You didn't come out of the womb going, oh, well, let's go and be a drunk or wow, let's go and sexualize everything about me or let's go and fill my lips with filler so that I can be beautiful or let's go do something. Something happened to you. Right. So the beautiful thing is to have compassion for yourself as those things are a precursor to understanding what did happen to you. Okay. So that compassion comes first and then yes. that can give you the place where you yes. can safely see what's exactly. what it has that's happened. Exactly. Yeah. And be like, you know what? Something had to happen to me for me to feel so inferior that I have to do X or Y or Z or, you know, I mean, the list is really short. There's only so many things that are possible. So like, you don't have to adhere to one of them. You can just say, look, I'm going to have compassion for myself. And if I have a family that makes me the villain, it's okay. They're, they're let them go. Yes, they're hurting. I mean, I have this aunt that has just spewed so much hate about me. And I'm just like, you're sending Donald Trump money and you work at Walmart. I mean, there's a problem. Okay. But you're going to be fine. But just you need to find something else to talk about besides Shelly. Because mm. I'm going to tell you about it yourself. Mm. Like, look, if you want to say something to me, say it to me. Don't tell all my cousins all these lies and all these things. 
you can tell me I have a phone. You can call me and say, hey, I heard this about you. And I'll say that's 100 percent true or no. Where is that source coming from? Because that's not true. Right. But they know not to call me because I will tell them you hurt my feelings or, you know, I don't see it that way. But it's just safe to make me the villain because God knows I'm going to say what I think. And I will also be the first one to say, hey, forgive me. I got it wrong. Sure. That is really the power. Forgive me. I got it wrong. I screwed up. Yeah. That's for sure. No, it's, that comes back to me. Like, I really love this compassion for self, hope dealer, and then be the kind of, you know, I like what you said, moving from just Shelly to be that girl, be that girl that's kind to people, that's strong, that's loving, that cares for others, that shows up and has, you know, human love and care in every interaction. Right. Yeah. Well, just can mean a lot of things. Yeah, as well. And then it sounds like you've changed that you still have the just in your vocabulary, oh, but it wow. means very different. Just a world changer, just the ah, most successful yeah. uh, transportation or uh, construction <laughs> technology company on the planet. You know, yeah. Sorry, it's Shelly again. I mean, it's so funny, though, because when you take the power out of it, when you take the pain out of it and you replace it with curiosity, like, why is that like, you mm-hmm. know, and I mean, it is just pure joy. I live in a joyous state and I'm going to radiate my joy. and. God knows it scares people, but you'll be fine. Maybe you can get addicted to that also. And we could change the world with joy. Yeah. How do you stay like in that space? How do you expand your joy practice in your life? What oh, is God. If I told you we'd be on this for it's another time. podcast. We have to do another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I months. mean, I am a go giver. Like I found this African family from the Congo on accident. And so I didn't know that it was 700 families. And so I'm the catalyst to change for these people that came to Kansas City from the Congo. And I'm like, they came from another galaxy. Kind of like me. I came from another galaxy when I realized what happened to me. This galaxy over here to this galaxy over here is like, wow. Mm. You know? But I mean they came looking for the washing river. They live in Kansas City. We have washers and dryers. They wanted a hair dryer to dry their clothes. I'm like, no, we have uh I bought them. I'm like, this is how this works. I mean I've learned so much. So now I'm involved with this church that the pastor's from the DC Congo. I don't even know what DC Congo means, but it feels really very DC-ish. Anyway, oh my God, it is so powerful. So a lot of your daily joy practice comes from giving, the go-giver, as you said, that you're really oh, yeah. not the go-getter, but the go-giver. How can you make a difference? And so in all these little areas that we already talked about, are you stacking the dishes and hand them to the waiter when they come to your table? Are mm-hmm. you helping to someone in need in the airport? And yeah. are you, you know, well, doing also things seeing people like looking at people in their eye mm. because it's just like, just you're going to be okay. That message of looking at someone in the eye and saying, I see you, mm-hmm. I have compassion for you. Mm. That is probably my biggest gift is that I do not avoid eye contact. I mm. will look you in the eye. I will see past whatever the challenge is. And I can probably within a moment know exactly what you're going through. I help people rewrite their stories. I mean, like I have an organization called the Courage Coalition, which is a movement of women coming together and telling our stories because there's only so many really crappy stories. And but when someone says, well, this is how I got through it. Here's how you get through it. You don't have to go over and create your own island. This is how you do it. Right, right. You don't have to suffer this way for another 25 years. You can work together in community and come through it in a year instead of 25 years. Yes, yes. And I'm like, you're going to be okay. So my goal this year is to get back. We do monthly luncheons and somebody comes and shares. And it's the power of our voices. And like when we collectively stand in a power of 
this, even though if our voices shake, even if we cry, even if, you know, whatever, do it anyway. Right. Absolutely. It's fine. Absolutely. Your tears are dry. I mean, my tears are dry. They still have a red face right now. Right. But guess what? I don't have a meeting for a couple hours. And if I do, I'll go put the powder on me. I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. no, it's all right. No, it's amazing, Shelly. I think there's so much inside your story and I love your energy. I love what you're bringing and how you want to serve. And it's not, I love how you want to serve and you do it on the very most practical daily level, but also in business at the same time. It's like, there doesn't feel like there's any separation to me. Mm-hmm. You know, or some mm-hmm. people it's very different boxes or they're like, oh, my life is really about helping others, but they're not also helping themselves or having a business or being successful. And then somehow it sounds really great how you're mixing it all together in your family, in your community, in your business, but it's all about in everything. It seems like it's underlined by compassion for yourself and others and then being a hope dealer, right? And I love that word. If listeners want to find out a little bit more about you, is business website the best place or where can they find out a little bit more about you, Shelly? Yeah, I mean, our website's My Smart Plan. And then actually my contact, my personal contact number is on our website. Okay. So I don't know how many people actually put the CEO's contact out there. Not too many. You better call me. I mean, what is it? What are you suffering from? What is it? I mean, it's so funny because some of our projects, there's like a party that wants to be rebellious to the system. You know, it's like, oh, well, and you're like, well, actually, you know, it was 242 that you looked at that. So what part don't you understand? Oh, yeah. No, just do the right thing. It's okay to do the right Right. thing. You're going to be fine. It's about a 20% bottom line to the profit of the stakeholders on our project. Because no one's looking uh, for from innovation. using the project, they have a twenty percent improvement in their bottom line. Yes. yes. Holy cow! That's unless, huge. Unless they consider the fact that there is no construction litigation or disputes, and that takes all their profits. Right. As well, so, that makes it like, even we, higher. We can't obviously, quantify those, that. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't even. We don't quantify peace of mind. Right. I'm like, I don't know what you value that at, but there is no quantification of that. So right. yeah. Well, I'm really inspired by your story. I'm really grateful for also the help that I feel like you've given me personally already with some of the ideas and things we've talked about off the air here that I'm going to work with my family and try with my family. And I love your heart. And I encourage people to check out you if they're in the Kansas City area, check out your website, mysmartplans.com and reach out to you if they have questions or comments that they want to yeah. uh, want well, we're to connect. Also global, so we're not just in Kansas City. So we do international projects as well. Which I look back, I'm like, wait a second, I'm doing what? Oh, well, that one's in Guam. You know, that one's right. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's all the same problem. Right. There's no, absolutely. Absolutely. No matter where it is, it's the same thing. Yeah. No, it's really inspiring. Keep it up. Keep being a hope Thank dealer, Shelly. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I love meeting you. Yeah, all the Let best. Me I can help you. Thank you. I will, Shelly. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. Hey, keep me posted, too. I will. I can't wait to hear what action you are taking. Connect with me on LinkedIn or our website, lifeintransition.online, and let me know. Let a friend know too. It could be a huge encouragement to them and keep you on the track. Thank you so much for joining me today. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and it would mean a lot to me if you left a review and shared this episode with a friend. If you want to learn more about me, and what I do when I'm not podcasting, please visit me at artblanchford.com. Thank you for listening. Together, let's make the most of life in transition.